episode 83, Record of Skies. I'm Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to a Cool Things podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Henry Worrell wasn't a trained artist, he wasn't even a native Kansan, yet he became the state's unofficial PR guy in the 1870s. Worrell promoted Kansas using his talent with a paintbrush and a wicked sense of humor. Join assistant registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and me as we examine a sketchbook created by Worrell entitled Record of Skies. We'll expose the man behind the easel. Did he really care about the skies in Kansas, or was he just looking for a job with the state? Then, we introduce you to William Allen White's connection to the Belmont Stakes, the third gem in horse racing's Triple Crown. Was White, the Sage of Emporia, a betting man? Join us when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, Record of the Skies. Good morning, Michaela. Good morning. Today, we're going to talk about an artist's sketchbook from the 1870s. Um, can you describe the sketchbook for our listeners? Sure. The sketchbook is, it's a hardback book. It's about textbook size. And um, the cover, it's kind of a nondescript cover. It's just got some floral designs on it. But inside, it's got um, plain white paper pages that the artist Henry Worrell has done small about postcard size paintings and attached them to the pages of the scrapbook, kind of like a journal would be. I see. And who was the artist Henry Worrell? Henry Worrell, um, he's sometimes referred to as Kansas's first artist. Um, he was actually born in Liverpool, England in 1825, so he wasn't even a Kansan to start out with. His family settled in Canada in 1835, and not too long after that, Henry moved to Buffalo, New York, and then to Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, he took up the trade of glass cutting, and he also studied music, which he did get a little fame from his musical abilities. He wrote a guitar piece that he sold to a publishing company, and the publishing company made a lot of money off of it, and he made nothing. So it, it really didn't do him any good to have music ability, I guess. Um, in 1868, he moved to Kansas for health reasons. I'm not sure what health reasons those would be. <laughs> Maybe he liked a drier, warmer climate. I don't know. And, um, he settled in Topeka. Um, he um, did various things in Topeka. He actually started a vineyard here, and he... Uh, gave music lessons, all, all kinds of different things. But it was here that he kind of gained his notoriety as an artist because he took up painting after he came to Kansas. I see. So once he came to Kansas, um, he he became fairly well known across the country per, for painting Drouthy, Kansas. Mm -hmm. What can you tell our listeners about this intriguing painting? Well, you are right. Drouthy, Kansas was the painting that put Worrell on the map, mainly because copies of it were um, printed and then distributed across the country. And it also appeared in railroad literature and on the cover of Kansas Farmer, which I'm not sure how many people outside of Kansas were reading Kansas Farmer. But anyway, um, so yeah, people, people started to know him because of this painting. Um, the painting shows Kansas in an exaggerated manner. So it's got giant ears of corn. It's got a huge watermelon that a man is standing on, like eating out of the watermelon. <laughs> it's got a, a, a huge rainstorm in the background. So it really makes Kansas look like a paradise for agriculture and, and climate. Um, he wanted to show Kansas in a manner that was opposite of the negative image that the state typically had. Um, it was called the single biggest advertisement that the state ever got, and it brought in settlers who later 
in the 1870s were enraged at Worrell when drought and a plague of grasshoppers attacked the state. So they were like, what are you, this doesn't make any sense. You told us, that, you know, your, your picture showed us it was beautiful and there was rain and there are none of those things. So um, after he painted this painting, he began sending illustrations to Harper's Weekly and Leslie's Illustrated Magazine, which were two fairly popular um, publications at the time. Um, a lot of people would know them for um, depictions of things like Quantrill's Raid and, and events that were happening in Kansas around the, during the Bleeding Kansas era. And he also illustrated a couple of books and designed the Kansas exhibit for the 1876 World's Fair in Philadelphia. So after coming here, that's when he got really popular, and it was all because of the painting, Drossy, Kansas. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so why did Worrell paint these scenes in his sketchbook, and do they all depict Kansas? scenes? Well, not all of them are Kansas scenes, but most of them are. Um, the, the sketchbook kind of seems like a personal diary in that it's it's not, um, it doesn't seem to be necessarily studies for like a larger work or something like that, although he definitely would have used it um, as a reference book later on. The book started out, he calls it the record of skies, and he began documenting what the sky looked like each day. And many of the first paintings show, you know, brilliant sunrises or sunsets that people who live in Kansas you know, have come to recognize as being a trademark of the state. And then other ones will show, you know, a rainy sky or a wintry gray sky. And eventually he expanded and included landscapes and people and buildings. Yeah, it's amazing how he can capture the landscape and the openness of Cam Kansas in a postcard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's really interesting, too, because he has, there's a few kind of sepia tone black and white images that have faded out. Um, that are photographs taken by someone who is traveling through the same part of Kansas. So he puts it in kind of his comparison, and his paintings blow the photographs <laughs> out of the water. So it's, it's probably a good thing he was doing this, or Kansas wouldn't have had any settlers at the time. But um, he kept the journal during um, the time period that he worked as an illustrator for the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad. So he traveled across Kansas, Colorado, and New Mexico doing drawings and illustrations that the railroad then put in pamphlets and magazines that they used to encourage people to travel um, on the train and to buy land along the railroads and settle in Kansas. So again, he's using you know his art as propaganda to bring people into the state. And like I said, most of the images are of Kansas, but there are some from New Mexico and Cincinnati and even Washington, D.C. And it, it's dated 1872, I think, or 1882, but actually spans several years, probably into the early 1890s. And it does include some photographs and, and studies that he did for the pamphlets and stuff like that. So, It seems like uh, he was able to uh, work his sense of humor into his promotional paintings yeah. for the railroad. Um, one of my favorites is the man-sized jackrabbit. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> could, could you talk about that? Well, Worrell was known for having a sense of humor, which was in part due to Drouthy, Kansas. It you know, was kind of a tongue-in-cheek look at Kansas. And then also one of the books he illustrated, um, it was kind of a humorous look at what it'd be like to travel across the West. And he illustrated that. So people kind of knew him for having a sense of humor. And the giant jackrabbit is probably the funniest one in the sketchbook because uh, not only is the jackrabbit man-sized, but he seems to have killed a man that's laying on the ground beside him. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, you know, I guess uh, more propaganda for Kansas. I've never seen a jackrabbit man-sized, but, you know. Um, and he also would make, like, funny comments and captions. Like, on the same page with the jackrabbit, there's another image with a horse pulling a cart that says, Yah, wild horse. And then on another page, um, when he documented... Um, March 14th, he saw green grass for the first time, you know, since winter had ended. And he writes green with an exclamation point under it. And then a few days later, he paints a picture of a rain bucket 
or a rain barrel, and he writes rain under it. So he's kind of, he knows that what he's done, you know, depicting Kansas is kind of false. And he, in his journal, you can see that he surprises anyone else to see that Kansas <laughs> is green and that it does rain. <laughs> um, if Warhol were around today promoting Kansas, what do you think he would be painting? Well, a lot of Warhol's paintings in his book, since he was uh, working with the railroad, a lot of them depict transportation. You see covered wagons going across the plains. You see train tracks um, and you know, telegraph wires going up, things like that. So I think Warhol would probably be pretty interested in our interstate system just because I-70 and I-35 are such main thoroughfares in the state. And also, it's the fastest way to get to Colorado, so there's that tourism thing again. But not as pretty as the landscape, though. No, no, that's true. And also, I think he'd be interested in things, you know, if you're promoting Kansas commerce, like the wind turbines showing, you know, alternate forms of energy, or even um, the impressive Kansas farming, you know, with wheat, wheat harvest or corn harvest and the size of some of the farms in western Kansas. I think he'd be pretty impressed. Yeah, and something, I mean, it seems like some things would pretty much be the same, but mm. with the advances in technology, it would change quite that's a bit. That's true. A lot of his landscape paintings might look exactly yeah. the same. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Nikayla. Sure. for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Rebecca Martin. Hello. And Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. <laughs> today we connect William Allen White to the Belmont Stakes, the third and final leg of horse racing Triple Crown. Rebecca, can you give us a little background on this famous race? Definitely, and I just want our listeners to know this time I did not use Wikipedia. <laughs> I used the actual website of the Belmont Stakes. Um, they have a lot on their history. It's a very famous thoroughbred horse race that's held at Belmont Park in New York, and this year the race is on June 6th. The park and the race are named after a man named August Belmont, who was a leading banker and a, a big racing fan in the 19th century. And he was the first president of the Jockey Club in 1867, the same year the first Belmont Stakes was run. The Belmont is the last leg of the Triple Crown, which is the United States' three premier races for three-year-old thoroughbred horses. And the other two are the Kentucky Derby, which is probably the most famous, and the Preakness. Uh, the Belmont is the oldest race of those three, and horses that win all three, win all three races in a single year are considered to have won the Triple Crown. Uh, interestingly, there are Triple Crowns in other countries around the world, too. Um, the last Triple Crown was won in this country in 1978 by Affirmed, and apparently it's really difficult to win a Triple Crown nowadays because horses are bred to specialize in different types of races, and it's difficult for one to win all three. Uh, and the Belmont is considered the most demanding leg of the Triple Crown because it's the longest dirt track in thoroughbred racing, uh, and it's about a mile and a half. Uh, one unusual fact about the Belmont I thought was kind of interesting the 1921 race was the first time it was run counterclockwise, which is the American tradition. The British tradition is clockwise. Do you know why that is? Because the British do everything differently. <laughs> I, no, I don't. I don't know why. I don't know why it took us so long to develop our own tradition or why we decided, the heck with this clockwise thing. But in 1921, that was when the Belmont made the switch. Great. Thank you, Rebecca. Nikayla, I believe you have a solution. I sure do. The first Belmont Stakes was held at Jerome Park Racetrack in the Bronx. The track was built, as Rebecca mentioned, in 1866 by Leonard Jerome, who was a stock market speculator. Jerome was also a yachting buddy of William K. Vanderbilt, of the famous railroad mogul Vanderbilts. And William had a sister named Emily Thorne Vanderbilt. 
Emily's second husband was Henry White, who was a prominent U.S. <laughs> diplomat and a signer of the Treaty of Versailles. And as we know, William Allen White attended the peace conference for the uh, Treaty of Versailles, and Henry White reported to the press at that conference. And Woodrow Wilson was a little untrusting of the press. He kind of felt like he always got flayed by them. And at a certain point during the conference, he stopped feeding the press information. And he'd send Henry White out oh. there, and Henry White didn't really have anything to tell them. So eventually, he just decided to take them sightseeing in Paris. <laughs> oh, that works for me. <laughs> yeah. So William Allen White went sightseeing with Henry White in, in Paris during the Paris oh, cool. Peace Conference. So, yeah. There you go. No Her. relation? No relation, I don't mm. think. He didn't mention a relation in his autobiography. So Great. Thank you, Nikayla. You bet. Rebecca, would you like to issue the next challenge for our next episode? Sure. Uh, next time, we want you to connect William Allen White to the Cradle of Americanness, Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Completed sometime before 1753. I guess they didn't keep good records back then. This building was home to the colonial Pennsylvania government until 1775 when the Second Continental Congress decided to get rid of the colonial part. Uh, it was in this building that the Declaration of Independence was first read and the United States Constitution was debated. So if you think you can, can connect William Allen White to a hangout for Jefferson and the boys, just send your solution to podcast at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. That concludes this episode, Record of Skies. If you would like to see images of Henry Worrell's sketchbook, including the freaky jackrabbit, go to our website, kshs.org. To find out about our latest posting or other new artifacts and photographs acquired by the Historical Society, check out our Facebook page and become our friend. Just search for Kansas Historical Society. Come back in two weeks when curator Laurel Fritch examines a textile from the Hmong people. It's known as a story clock. This elaborately embroidered panel tells the story of the Hmong's escape from Asia to the United States at the end of the Vietnam War. Learn how these refugees from Laos ended up in Kansas City. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. <laughs> <laughs>